and I'm proud Hello, every- to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Even though Norm Wood doesn't like this song, it's Memorial Day. Hokies, friends, Monday, May 25th, much more than a regular day. Wanted to take a second and thank all of the service men and women who have sacrificed in order for us to enjoy the simple beauties of being an American here. Um, we had a great day today. The Mitchell family was out grilling. I'm sure some of you were out by the pool, spending time with the family, and sacrifices were made to uh, give us that ability to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy in America every single day. Obviously, we have a huge history with the military at Virginia Tech, with the Corps of Cadets, the CENTAF at the middle of campus. Take some time to appreciate the folks who did sacrifice to give us what we were able to have every single day. Read up. Virginia Tech has seven Medal of Honor recipients, Richard Thomas Shea Jr., Robert Edward Femoyer, Jimmy Waters Monteith Jr., Herbert Joseph Thomas, Earl Davis Gregory, Julian Edmund Victor Gajot, Antoine August Michael Gajot. All Medal of Honor recipients. Check them out. Read about them. Be appreciative. I know that I am. It's a wonderful country, and I want to thank everybody serving or who has served in the military. Salute to you. We got a fantastic show lined up for you. But as always, Patty, bring us in with a hokey haiku. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. Cheers to that, Billy Ray. Uh, Thanks for the introduction. So this hokey haiku is brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy. Stop in the best pharmacy in all of the New River Valley. If, if there's any pharmacies in the 540 that you need to go to, it is this one. Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts has all the stuff you need for your quarantine efforts here. Uh, he will greet you with a smile. He's got a friendly staff, and uh, they got a lot of cool stuff in there at that Main Street Pharmacy. I hear that they got some cool things coming down the horizon, down the line as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Hokey Haiku. From Ryan Hartman, we got baby Stro. Keep it in the family. Sons of ball hawking. All right, Ryan nice. Hartman never misses. Shooting a thousand percent. Thank you, Ryan Hartman, for that wonderful submission. Um, before we get into what's going on, let's let's, as Pat likes to say, zoom out. What's on the horizon coming up here? We got a big, we got a big time week. We got some big time stuff in the news. Here's what we got. Sons of special teams. I'll tell you what. The Sons of Saturday have set up in the Sons of special teams corner and have been bringing special teamers on. If you're from Australia, that's fine. If you got a Dumbledore uh, mustache beard, that's fine. Come on down and talk about kicking the ball. Well, we're bringing on Peter Moore and Kyle Lowe, both committed to Virginia Tech, both signed at Virginia Tech here, coming on in to make a difference, and we're fired up to have them. So they'll be on the Sons of Saturday on Wednesday. If you're following us on the Twitter machine, you saw some back and forth. We were able to get on big play Trey's calendar. Trey Turner is going in the house on Sunday. We're going to talk to Trey Turner. We're going to need some letters from the lunch pail, a great representative of Virginia Tech, and a great ambassador for the program. We are so excited to have him coming on as well. Um, so we got a big time week coming up and Pat, 
we had a big time interview and Pat, you ran a big time interview with Grayson. What, what, what's coming on here? What's coming on here after we shoot, uh, shoot it around a little bit with uh, some of the current events? Yes, we got, we got Sons of Sports coming up with Big Play Trey and Sons of Specialists later this week. But we also got some, uh, some more hokey news as far as Virginia Tech alumni who are out there making a difference, making waves, doing cool things with their careers, even if they don't have to do with sports. So we got two coming up. I'll take the first one. Jordan O'Donnell, former wrestler uh, from Virginia Tech. Uh, he's a Richmond guy, and uh, actually our guy Austin Gable hooked it up and said, you guys need to talk with Jordan because Jordan is the author of a book called Zune Garden that came out last Friday, and uh, you're going to hear a little bit about it uh, in this interview. He's going around the country with 20 interns on a book tour. It's starting up soon. It's going to be real cool. Gee, who else do we have on? The second interview that we got on deck is none other than A.J. Borshide. Shout out to my fraternity brother and another hokey Angelino. A.J. lives out here in La La Land with yours truly, working at Creative Artists Agency. And if you don't know what CAA is, A.J. is going to tell you a little bit more about it in the interview. They represent people like, oh, former Hokies, like Isaiah Ford and the Edmonds brothers, and a bunch of other people. So really, really fired up about that. Moving on, though, in the news, we're going to start with this one. Guys, Demetrius Davis. So sick of hearing about this kid. <laughs> with <Sorry>. Demetrius <laughs> Davis. And, man, we, we were on here not too long ago calling this kid a leader. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that anymore. Demetrius Davis had another sneak diss on his Instagram live. He said he tried to get the Virginia Tech coaching staff to recruit some talent around him, but that we wouldn't be able to beat Clemson or the likes of Clemson, perennial powerhouses, if you will, with, and I quote, a bunch of two to three stars. The disrespect, boys. The absolute disrespect. It's like, this kid was all Virginia Tech, and now he is singing Auburn's praises, dissing us. It's like, all right, bet, dude. We'll see you real soon, kid. Guys, what do you think? Pat, I know you've talked about this before, man. How do you feel about this? So there's kind of two two parties here. There's the, we've moved on from this guy. Why are we still paying him any attention? And then there's also the, the folks who are like, let's keep talking about it because he keeps bringing us up. Why is he doing that? It's like a crazy ex-girlfriend who, you know, has moved on but keeps taking shots at your family. And you're just like, I got to stand here and I got to stand up for my family. That's personal, okay? Some, a couple of things that I saw that I thought were kind of funny uh, one that, first of all, shout out Norm Wood for gathering this information and watching the uh, the live stream because he posted the tweet about it. Doug Nestor quoted the tweet with two yawning emojis. It was like, <laughs> I'm yawning at this because Doug Nestor is a four star, man. Like, come on. He's not a two or a three. And then it was funny because James Mitchell had retweeted Doug Nestor's tweet of him yawning at that. And James Mitchell, also a four star. So D Davis. One, get your facts straight. Two, Auburn has lost to Clemson four times in a row. So you can take your four stars and your five stars at Auburn. Clemson is still running your ass up and down the field either way. So 
I don't know, man. Michael Brewer was the quarterback when we beat Ohio State, and there were plenty of two stars, three stars, and four stars on that team. I don't see why you need to have such a big head here and, you know, continually beating Virginia Tech when we're down here where all I'm going to say, man, and I tweeted this out, stay humble because we're, all, we're watching you, man, and we might not be rooting for you anymore. It's, uh, it's frustrating. Um, again, I, I, I am from here on out. I refuse to talk about this, uh, about this subject anymore. Uh, he's a kid and, and, you know, I can understand some frustration with being in the boat and getting frustrated with a lack of guys jumping in the boat at that point, but you're the one who decided to commit your job is to actively recruit others. And it's an odd recruiting cycle, but Pat, I completely agree with you. It's disrespectful to the players that are on the team right now. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. I'm over it. Not trying to hear about it anymore. I'm more excited about Latrell Neville guys like that, who just seem, I gotta tell you, I've been pleasantly surprised with his excitement level, um, to be coming on down to Virginia tech. He put out a tweet, um, the other day, uh, people left when the house was falling apart, not knowing I was tearing it down to build a mansion. I just wanted to see who was going to grab a hammer. Look, if we're going to get fired up about what 17 and 18 year olds are putting on the timeline, which I'm not really a big fan at all, but hey, that got me kind of that got me kind of fired up. Um, but glad Latrell Neville is picking up a hammer, and I hope he meant the mansion is this 20 recruiting class. So uh, we'll see what happens here. I'm fired up, uh, but moving on, moving right on along, we got some awesome news. Baby Stroman is in the boat. Give me a Stroman anytime there is a Stroman available. I am fired up. Got to tell you, we got to work on J- on uh, on Jalen Stroman's videography, uh, Grayson. I don't know if they if they asked to fly out to make the video, but we did receive a a top tier meme of Greg Stroman sitting in the car with nervous written on the bottom left. It is screenshotted, it is bookmarked, and it will be used in the future. But I got to tell you, this guy is someone that the coaching staff is extremely fired up about. This guy has great football IQ. He's a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. And he comes from a lineage of Hokies. Greg Stroman was a fantastic Hokie. One of those two or three stars that were overlooked, Jalen Stroman is massive compared to when Greg showed up on campus uh, size-wise. So I'm really excited to have him in the boat. He had some other options as well. Um, But, guys, I'm excited to have him in the boat. Pat, talk to me a little bit about Jalen Stroman. Yeah, so Jalen picked Virginia Tech over the likes of Duke. Uh, UVA, which is always nice, uh, Indiana, just to name a few, and really kind of an under-the-radar guy. Uh, just from some folks uh, close to the program are saying that he has some of the best football instincts that uh, they've ever seen from a defensive-minded player, uh, drawing comparisons to Chuck Clark. I know Chris Coleman tweeted out how he plays a lot more. I mean, he's he is a Stroman, but he plays a lot more like uh, Terrell Edmonds than Greg Stroman. He's a lot bigger than Greg. I got to say, there was um, the maroon and orange smoke coming from the, from the exhaust pipe. I thought that was hilarious. I know Billy's <laughs> ragging on the, uh, the video production a little bit, but I was cracking up. And that's also another solid, uh, a solid gif from Jalen's video. But I think this guy is going to – I mean, here's the thing, man. Like, the way I see it, brothers are so successful when they come through the Virginia Tech. If you have one brother in the NFL and he's the older brother and the younger brother is committing to Tech – there's a very, very good chance that that man will be drafted uh, in April, you know, in four or five years from now. 
And it's not even like to, to that point, Pat, there have been plenty of brothers who have come through Virginia Tech who haven't necessarily made it in the NFL, but were big time playmakers. I think of the Grimm brothers and I think of the Warren brothers. And then there are the ones like the Edmonds and the Fullers and the Vic boys. And now Stroman, welcome to Blacksburg, Jalen. We are, we're fired up to have you. And Shout out to uh, to our all the all the who's down in Whoville cried boo who because you thought you thought for a second that Strowman that Jay Stro was gonna turn his sword against where his older brother went to school. Are you kidding me? Like Tim Settle was in the video too with that orange and maroon smoke. You really thought. Yeah, maybe next time. All right. Got to gotta say, Slim Tim looks great. We said this, I think, two podcasts ago. Tim is looking slim. I'm not sure if he's doing, you know, the whole Betty Crocker thing. Definitely not Betty Crocker. Jim Dean Betty thing. Cro- or- <laughs> Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker. <laughs> I'm not Wait, sure what he's doing. Jillian Michaels. Maybe Jillian Michaels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's doing something. He looks great. So I'm excited for him next season. Um, but hey, we're looking to get some more bros in the uh, in 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 the boat, bro boat, bro bro boat. Uh, we got to get Jack bro, Hollifield. Bros of Saturday. Bros of Sat. We're looking to get Jack Hollifield in the boat as well. He'd be a great addition. Would love to have him in as well. But Pat, uh, Pat, we got a we got put into a top three, not a top fifteen, not a top twenty-five, not a top fifty. We got put in a top three. Which hey, you give me a top three, like a reasonable number of of, of schools, I'm gonna listen to you. So Pat, who's top three did we uh, slip into here? Matthias Carroll uh, from Baltimore, weak side defensive end. He's six three, two twenty. Uh, he's coming from Gilman School. If you recall, uh, Melvin Kine actually went to Gilman out in Baltimore. But, yeah, it's very nice to see a top three because, you know, with all due respect, seeing a guy like, you know, Tristan Lear, Mac McClung put out top sevens and top 15s, mm-hmm. it's really nice to just see someone say, hey, I'm only going to give these three fan bases and these three coaching staffs and all these people uh, my time, and they're going to get my undivided time. So it's going to be us, uh, Maryland, and Duke. And I like our odds over Duke, Maryland, the hometown school. Loxley's a good recruiter. You never know. Um, but I, I do like our odds with Carroll. Just want to slide this on in there. Uh, the Gilman School played against the Gilman School once. Brother played against them twice. 3-0 and against the Gilman School. But they do, have some good, uh, they do have some good players down there at Gilman. So fired up to see that and excited to see us continue to Beef up the defensive line, the tap and tier link uh, duo, making some big moves. So excited about that. Um, Troy Everett committed to Appalachian State. That's kind of been the hot topic uh, in the last couple of days. Pat, talk to me a little bit about this gentleman from Lord Botetite. Troy Everett, a close friend of Jesse Hansen, actually, from Lord Botetite High School. Uh, The Cavaliers just north of Roanoke. He committed to App State today. I know App State was one of his first offers, um, but he's an offensive guard, 6'3", 280, actually not rated in the 24-7 sports composite. 247 has him as a 85, as the number 30 recruit in Virginia at this point. But um, honestly, there's two ways you could look at this. It's a Botetot guy. He's right in our backyard. He probably grew up a tech fan. He's close with Jesse Hansen. You, you know, you're probably thinking, what happened, right? Like, what happened with this guy? And you look at his offer list, and you have App State, Army, Charleston Southern, Chattanooga, Coastal Carolina, and you're just like, okay, I don't see any 
real okay no power five virginia tech offer is great i don't know if he thought he was going to be able to get a chance to compete and play at virginia tech and he probably just wants to do the best for him that is all speculation and i know billy you had a uh an opinion on this yeah so i just wanted to you know a lot of times we get in arguments on on the timeline about uh kids in virginia deciding to go elsewhere or kids that Virginia Tech may be the best offer for where they don't go there. And, and I think a lot of people like to oversimplify kind of how kids look at the recruiting process. It's not always like, oh, well, he's got a Clemson offer, so he's got to be going to Clemson. Or, oh, this kid's from Virginia, so if we offer him and, you know, we're his best offer, he's definitely going to come to Virginia Tech. That's not really how it works. And a lot of people do think that way, but I'm going to give Isaiah Ford an example. Isaiah Ford was an incredible recruit coming out of Trinity Christian in uh, Jacksonville. And if you go down his offer list, I mean, he had offers from Clemson, Florida State, Miami, um, North Carolina, Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State. He could have basically gone to any school that he wanted to, quite honestly. Um, And I asked him, we were all kind of like sitting around in the dorms going, why did you come to Virginia Tech? And everybody's giving their answers. I always wanted to be a Hokie. I always wanted to do this, I wanted to do that. And Isaiah Ford just like, you know, he was kind of shy at the time, didn't say a lot. And he just straight up was like, I knew I was going to come here. I knew I was going to start. I knew I was going to break all the records here. And at first I was like, all right. But he literally, he looked at the roster up and down and he was like, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to have an opportunity to play early. And I have an opportunity to just completely dominate and give myself a really good opportunity to go to the league. So he looked at it from that angle and kids don't always look at it as, oh, this is my best offer. This is where I'm going. Or this is close to home. This is where I'm going. Sometimes you got to look at the roster. This kid may have looked at the offensive line and said, you know, they had four freshmen start last year. Zachariah got Hoyt. Uh, Zachariah Hoyt got hurt last year. He's coming back. Um, you know, there's a lot of young talent on this roster, and that's not necessarily, you know, a, a, a weak way of looking at it. It's more so just judging what is my quickest path to get on the field and make a difference. Again, complete speculation. Maybe he visited App State, and App State has a fantastic hot tub with a waterfall and, you know, has a really good, like, uh, you know, program for whatever major he wants to take but at the end of the day he made his decision you go on app state best of luck to him but just a little quick uh quick tidbit on isaiah ford and you know he did come through on exactly what he said he was going to do so shout out to him some unfortunate news from basketball this week pat talk to us a little bit about the unfortunate news from basketball so i think i first saw it from david cunningham at the real d Cunna. PJ Horn is transferring out of Virginia Tech. Uh, He graduated and he has a year of eligibility uh, remaining. He can uh, transfer and he will be immediately eligible. But just to kind of give you, you know, the quick stats from PJ's last year, he definitely got a lot more playing time last year than uh, his first two years with Buzz. 7.6 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 28 minutes a game. Sneaky 30 4.9% from behind the arc. I knew sometimes when PJ would chuck it up, you'd just be like, oh, no, what are you doing? But other times you're just like, damn, PJ's hot today. And he had 18 versus Pitt and 17 versus Clemson. So he definitely had an impact in in some games down the stretch in ACC play. And I wish him the best. The way I see it is that with with these guys coming in, with the size coming in as well, that PJ might – see a similar thing to Troy Everett that this might not be the best place for me to be right now for my future. If I want to excel and dominate and 
really be able to show my stuff, get as much playing time as possible. I think uh, with the incoming size, PJ's time was probably going to shrink from 28 a game to probably, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game. And it's not something you want for your senior year. I really appreciate his leadership. I thought he was a, a great player and definitely exhibited toughness. And I know he had a good relationship with the staff as well. So I want to wish him the best. Do you guys have any thoughts on uh, the PJ? I think it's, it's fair to, to see why maybe PJ would want to go ahead and transfer and pursue an opportunity elsewhere. Next year, we do have Joe Bamasil coming in, as well as Darius Maddox from Oak Hill Academy. These are two very highly touted recruits, both four stars on 247. We also have two transfers coming in, one from Iowa, Cordell. Is it Pencil? Yeah, it's like Pencil. Pencil, but like Pencil. Pencil, okay. So Cordell. But he's not from Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Sons of pronunciation. Oh, somebody gosh. help us out here. Yeah, so somebody else. Yeah, because because and then we have the other transfer coming in from Kansas State, uh, Cartier Diara. Is it Cartier? Yes, or is it- there it is. There Cartier it is. Diara. Like just like the very bougie, famous bracelet and ring company that you see Cartier. out in that, that you see out in Los Angeles and all that fun stuff. But so. I get it. It's it's sad because I think PJ is just off the court is just a great kid. Um, so it it'll be I it'll be sad to see him go. We just talked about this before we press record. He was in our Sons of Senior video. We very much appreciate him for doing that. So he said, "We're with you, class of twenty, PJ Horn. Wherever you go in your future endeavors, we're with you." Absolutely. Um, and that with PJ Horn entering the transfer portal, I am uh, paraphrasing David Cunningham here. David Cunningham, in times like this, fantastic reporting every time. Uh, that just leaves with Bisa Beattie and Tyrese Radford from uh, the Buzz Williams era. So a reshuffling of the deck here for Coach Young uh, and a pretty quick turnaround. So really excited about that. Um, but again, wish nothing but the best to PJ Horn in his future endeavors. Without any further ado, we're going to uh, dive into the letters from Lunch Peasy here. Um, we're super fired up about that. We got some great submissions, great submissions here uh, from the Lunch Pail, USPS and uh, FedEx working extra hard here uh, virtually. So let's just dive in here. Joey Sarantino, favorite day drinking slash tailgating game when the weather gets nice. Cornhole, can jam, slosh ball. I don't know what slosh ball is. Today, the Mitchell family was engaging in ping-pongery in the backyard. We got the ping-pong set up in the backyard. Um, When my grandfather's pool's open, love playing murder ball. It's basically just basketball, but you beat the hell out of each other and play basketball. Um, We have washers. We play washers in the backyard. That's a ton of fun, too. Um, Really, you just make do of whatever you have. Grayson, what do you guys play out west? Do you guys play any funky funky foursquare, or or what what do you guys do over there? (laughs) Well, first off, let me say, Joey, I know what slosh ball is. Shout out to my <laughs> Delta shout out to my Delta Sig boys. Slosh ball, <laughs> slosh ball Bill is it's basically baseball turned into a drinking game, essentially. You should wow. you should you should look it up. It's a good time. I, I'm I'm a big proponent of can jam. I'm I'm pretty love gnarly can love can jam, man. Love uh Love throwing the Frisbee. I'm pretty pretty nice with the Frisbee. I'm not, you know, crazy enough, I'm not a big cornhole guy. 
on tailgate days, there's this, there's this family a couple of cars away from where my family tailgates. They do this thing. It's not necessarily a game, but it is a tradition that, that they do. It's called the 15-minute shake. Ooh. And they take this giant mason jar and fill it with vodka and a bunch of limes and uh, lemons, and they wrap it in a towel, duct tape it. Everybody gets in a circle, and they shake it for 15 minutes prior to going into the stadium. And then once you've shaken it for 15 minutes, you take the towel off, undo the duct tape, and everybody in the circle who shook the jar goes around and drinks it until it's gone. So shout out to the 15-minute shake fam. It's yeah. awesome. Oof. It's so great. Oof. Pat, what do you got? I, uh, I really like Flip Cup, and I also am a big fan of uh, Stump, the hammer, hammer in the nail Stump game. I'm, I'm terrible at it, but I think it's fun. So ja- Jackson loves Stump, and I also uh, – Beer Die. Beer Die is a great game. Beer Die, yep. we left that out. Love some Beer Die. Um, so that rounds it out. Got another question here from K Finn. Shout out to K Finn. And I'm actually going to lump you in here with JC, John Cran, two of, two of my favorite people, by the way. Um, Kevin Finn is asking the Hokies needs Mr. Finn, excuse me. The Hokies need some more New Jersey flavor. What can you tell us about the dual threat quarterback we just offered? And John Cran says, I've been trying to follow the 2021 recruiting class. Can you summarize the strengths of the kids we have in the boat? And who are the top three to five targets you think are key for this class to be strong? Now, we know, we have the statistics to prove it and have heard it that you guys, you guys love, you guys are big Matei Sis guys. Like Matei Sis comes on here, crocks his way over, comes on here and just lays down flames. So what we're going to do moving forward is we have a new segment coming up. We can't do um, Sons of Throwback, Sons of Rewind. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring Matei Sis in this is still in the works. We're figuring out exactly where we're going to do it. But I'm thinking what we're going to do is share screen and break down the film of different players that are committed to or are high-profile guys that we're going after, break down their film, tell you what we like, tell you what we don't like, and just go down that road. So let us know. Tweet at us how you think that would be the best way to do that. But that is something that we're working on currently. So that is my answer to UKF and JC. Love the submission, though. Jeremy Counts, Lord Jeremy Counts, could D-Tap take down a bear armed only with a spork? I have a panel of experts, me, who say yes. So, Jeremy, I think you just submitted your own answer. So, Jeremy, I, I don't know. I, I, I've never seen Daryl Tapp come face-to-face with a burr, um, but if he had a spork, quite possibly. Pat's raising his hand. Pat, what are you thinking? If you need a spork, go to Main Street Pharmacy. I know they are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They have sporks in every aisle. I'm pretty sure oh this, this is hearsay, but this is just what, I, uh, what I'm believing. <laughs> Good hit, Pat. Good hit. I think you're right, Jeremy. I think you could too. <laughs> Grant, Grant Watson, the king of the uh, letters from the lunch pail. We love us some Grant Watson. If you could play golf with any former or current Virginia Tech football players, who would your dream who would be your dream foursome? Obviously, I need to learn how to play golf a little bit more effectively. Um, but in order for me to be in a position to win, I have seen Terrell Smith swing a golf club. It's not great. I think I'm a little better at swinging a golf club than Terrell Smith, so he'd be in there. 
Um, and then just from a pure, you know, entertainment uh, perspective, love to play with Brian Johnson, Oscar Bradburn. I heard Brian's pretty good at golfing. When we, when we went hiking, he actually had a golf ball off of Dragon's Tooth. I think that ball might be still flying through the air. Pat, who is your, uh, your dream foursome here? So we played with Lays last week. Love to get Mike Burnup in there. He's a mm. former Hokie football player, Hall of Famer. Nature boy! Know. I'm <laughs> nature guy. Uh, and I'll throw another one at you. Coach Beamer! Oh, good pick. You know, good. I've, heard, I've heard Coach Beamer is a fantastic golfer. And then a uh, third one, Kyle Fuller. I have, I have a couple buddies who have played with Kyle uh, a few times right before he got drafted, and they had – Nothing but great things to say about Kyle's temperament on the golf course and uh, how he was a pleasure to play with. So, uh, Kyle Fuller. My foursome here, I'm going to go – I'd love to – first off, Bill, I, uh, I, I second what you said. I am terrible at golf. My golf game does not exist. But if I had to do it, I'm going Bruce Smith, Michael Vick, because I, Mike, Mike is nice with a golf club. I see him on Instagram. He's always playing golf. So I'm going Bruce Smith, Michael Vick, Tyrod Taylor, and probably Coach Beamer. I'm, I'm jealous. My old man actually got to uh, got the chance to play with Coach Beamer at the Hack and Hokies at the Homestead in Hot Springs. And it's true, Pat. Coach Beamer, good golfer, very good golfer. There we go. Some great foursomes lined up there. John Earl with the next question here could make any change to lane and castle other than Wi-Fi. What would it be? Um, fantastic question. The Wi-Fi is obviously something that's very high on my list. I'm going to go with booze. I would love to indulge in, you know, uh, you know, skinny Billy, uh, some Michelob Ultras at the football games. Uh, after you get two or three in, you just say, you know what, screw it, give me a give me a butt heavy. But I would love to indulge in some uh, in some uh, alcoholery at the uh, football games. And I'm gonna go with Pat with the Power Wash Castle. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Grayson, go on ahead. Uh, here's one. Bring Bill McChain back. Oh, bring him back. Uh, I don't. I don't know who we got to talk to about doing that, and that to the Virginia Tech Athletic Department. I don't know who made that decision. That might not be the perspective you enjoy, but that's number one on your list. I need to hear at the end of the first quarter. Your Hokies, thirty-seven. UVA, nothing. <laughs> like, tell me, to, tell me that we do not need to bring that man back. Also, you know what? Not really with. Not really with the orange powdered smoke at Interstate. The smoke grenades, no. Not not really with that. They're only for Jalen Stroman's commitment video. Leave the smoke grenades (laughs) in 2019, please. And lastly. Great call, Grayson. Great call. Lastly, you know what I'm going to say. Bring it back permanently. Stick it in, baby. Every game. Every game. I want to hear it. With Babcock, if you're listening, you know what to do. Pat. So for Lane Stadium, I would love some improvement in the uh, the music. The music is, I know we've talked about it on the timeline. The music is kind of just extremely stale. There's only so many times you can listen to Turbulence by Lil Jon and get excited. Uh, that song and then Stand Up and Shout on Third Down. 
Even like even okay, I know the I kids love. Lo- I like stand up and shout. All right, Billy. They played it like nine times during the Carolina game. All right. All right. We won the game. That's great. That, that game also went into <laughs> six overtimes. To be fair. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> and then the. Uh, I know the kids love it, but even like the horse on a treadmill shout video with uh, Ron Burgundy, I mean, that is getting so old and uh, it's a classic. Ha ha. Pat, Pat, you're doing a lot of, this is a lot of get off my lawn, Pat. (laughs) Bring something better for Castle. Please give me your Castle. All right. Uh, I mean, it's, we already, I feel like we answered this question every week. (laughs) What is it? We need, the, we need to power wash Castle, man. How about this? I will offer this. If we are given the correct suspended, suspend, suspense equipment, I don't know if that's suspendery. If we're given the suspendery, I will power wash the top of Castle. I'm here for it. That'd be great content. It'd that be would fun. be great content. It'd be great content. If, if the athletic department is willing and able, we will sign the waivers. Just hook us up with some of those cables. Find a day where we know it's not going to be windy. I know Blacksburg weather is hard to predict. <laughs> we will go up there with a power washer and power wash the top of Castle. We are hereby offering, mm-hmm. extending that offer to you. At For the- free. For free. For free. I, got For a whole, I got a whole cohort of folks uh, back from, from school who – would join our staff in doing that. It wouldn't yes. just be us three. We can get probably 10 more people. Let's do it. It's exciting. Do That's, it. yeah. we, we'll do it for free. Udprosum, baby. Udprosum. Udprosum. Join the hockey club. Um, <laughs> Brian Hallbrock. How did the match with VT Lays, Lays VT stack up against the match with Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and TB12? My pants did not rip, which was a huge plus. Um, it didn't rain. It didn't rain. We weren't on TV, um, so that was a little bit of a bummer. We're in Florida, uh, and Charles Barkley wasn't watching. But you know what? It's the people you spend the time with. I had a great time, 10 out of 10. I hit the ball 183 times minimum. I got a great workout out of it. Um, so, I mean, I'd say, I don't know. It stacked up favorably, Pat. I just want to say for, uh, for Torg and for Lays, who you know probably thought I embarrassed myself out there a couple weeks ago, shot a 95 yesterday, all right? You might not believe me. You can call my dad. He was there. It's on the scorecard. 40, uh, 43 on the front, 52 on the back. Let's play again soon. <laughs> it's the home court advantage, I'm telling you. Something about the Garden State just brings the best out of Garden State kids. So shout out to the Garden State. Karsten. 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 <laughs> Classic. <laughs> what is your go-to song when the meat is on the grill and you are drinking a cold one on a long weekend? Speaking of cold ones, my brother finally – so for some reason, the, the, the bucket hats uh, that on our website shift to – like where do they ship, Pat? Like Lithuania? Where, where were they going? Lot, Latvia. Kiev, they I had, think. Kiev? Yeah, they had is to go to Latvia? They had to go to Kiev. Uh, Sons of History, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that used to be Russia or something. Kiev. Kiev Kiev is not in Latvia. That's Sons of Bad Geography. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I played uh, Call of Duty and there was an episode in Kiev. It's Riga. Riga. R-I-G-A. Okay, Riga. Uh, So they had to go to Riga in Latvia. And my brother got his cold drinks waiting hat. And this kid, I mean... I don't think it's left his dome. Like this kid is wearing it absolutely everywhere. So shout out to Jackson. 
check it out. There's a lot of content to Jackson walking around in shorts that are nine sizes too small, but he's rocking that uh, rocking that cold drinks waiting hat. So get on, get on the plane or get flown over. Um, you know, I, I'm all over the map here. Today we were listening to some uh, – to some Italian music, we're listening to some Frank Sinatra. Then we threw on, you know, some country music. I mean, we're we're all over the map here in the Mitchell household. You know, if mom gets a hold of the aux, which happens rarely, she'll throw on some Barbra Streisand, which which I have, you know, no problem with, or Peter Gabriel, uh, which I have no problem with either. Um, so, you know, in the Mitchell household, we're all over the place. We just got Sonos, so we're we're hooked up. Grayson, what do we got? What do we got out west here? As long as meat is on the grill and I'm drinking a cold one, which I'm actually about to be doing. I got some friends coming over for a cookout, not a barbecue, a cookout. That's what we call it (laughs) here. They call it a barbecue on the West Coast. I'm surprised they're letting you outside out there. I thought they, uh, I'm surprised anyone's allowed outside over in LA. Yeah, maybe I self-incriminated, but everybody over here, we're, we're doing it in my backyard, and there's only three other people, and we're going to be six feet apart so everybody can relax. You know what? I'm alone. And so, anyway, I'm getting off of, <laughs> off of the question here. The songs that I listen to when I'm grilling, it's always country. It's always got to be country. Um, I, you know, I respect it, Bill, the, the Sinatra, big Sinatra fan here, but if, it's, if I'm drinking a beer and I'm grilling some burgers, it's – no matter it's george Strait, luke yeah. combs dwight okay. yoakam you feel me pat what do you got i know where this is going all right so it's gonna be bruce dave matthews eric church uh, a little u2 maybe some oar but if i if i have to choose one song life's been good by joe walsh a classic for steaks on the grill baby all right, if we're going to nail it down, I'll play the game too. I love listening to Legend by Bob Marley. Throw some Bob Marley on shuffle. That's always good too. But the country music, George Strait's a great one. Luke Combs, Six Feet Apart. Play it. Goes yep. with the times. It's a great song. Yep. If you haven't heard it yet, download it on the Spotify Arena. Or if you're you know, out to lunch, listen to it on Apple Music. Um, what else do we have here? Not sure if you've been watching the Bund Selegia, Seliga, Selega. Uh, but what are your thoughts about pumping crowd noise into the TV feed? I was surprised how Dude. good it sounded. Um, <laughs> I don't I, I, ha, I don't even, I can't even pronounce it. So I haven't been watching it. I, I, don't know. I actually, I, I'm a, I'm on the side of when Dude, basketball comes back. We're, we're, re, we're redoing that. <laughs> All right. You read it. All right. I, don't know how to, I can't read it. I don't, I can't pronounce that word. It's Bundesliga. All right. It's, it. I don't know what that is. Bundesliga. Dude, I don't oh, know. I know what Justice League is. I don't know what Bundesliga is. <laughs> Justice League. Pat, I'm sorry I butchered the question. Can you go ahead and, and read it for me, please? I will ask oh. the question. Not sure if you've been watching the Bundesliga, but what are your <laughs> thoughts about pumping in crowd noise to the TV feed? I was surprised how good it sounded. Here are my thoughts. No, don't do that. Don't pump crowd noise into the TV feed. I get it. You're trying to make it seem more real and more realistic, but it's that that just makes me sad at that point because I know it's fabricated. You know what I <laughs> go ahead, Pat. I'm sorry. I'm with it, man. I stand <laughs> for the decisions of the Bundesliga because you know why? They're playing sports right now. None of the Americans are playing sports right now. Germany has figured it out and they're playing sports. And they can pump in crowd noise because it makes things feel a little more normal. So let them keep doing it. I know Boston College pumps in crowd noise at the actual game. That's a red flag. If you want to pump in crowd noise for the viewers at home, 
that is fine by me. And if we want to do it for college football in the fall, if there's going to be no fans, that's fine by me too. You know what? Uh, you know what, Pat? You're right. If I was watching Bundesliga and I just saw a completely empty 150,000 person stadium and heard the crowd noise, I'd probably lean back in my chair and be like, wow, this feels like the real thing. I can't believe it's the real thing. No, Bundesliga. It's not the real thing when you pump in crowd noise. It's not. Okay. So here's my take on it. When the NBA comes back, please, I beg of you, you threw out the rule book when the Michael Jordan documentary came out. F's were flying. A's were flying. It was fantastic. I loved it. You just throw a little, you throw a little warning at the beginning, like, hey, little Tommy and little Joey and little Dana need to put on their head muffins, okay? And if they have their head muffins on, they don't have to worry about the bad language spewing from the microphone. If you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. Shout out to Disney for handling that the correct way. I would love to watch the NBA playoffs, if we are able to have them, or baseball, and be able to listen to Paul George talking smack to LeBron when he's shooting free throws. I'd love to hear Kemba Walker talking trash to, man, I don't even know who's in the Eastern Conference anymore, but that's what I want to hear. Are you going to get some slip-ups? Yeah, you are. Are you going to hear LeBron say some poo-poo words sometimes? Yeah, you are. But who's going to love it and want it injected into their veins? This guy right here. So instead of that, instead of going the Bundesliga way, let's go the NBA way and let's bump in the noise of true grit and true competition. Fantastic question from whoever submitted this question. All right, before we rip the Bundesliga, let's just see an American sports league come back first before we start freaking out. But yes, I like that take, Billy, and I, uh, I've, I'm gravitating toward your take a little bit now. But let's move on. Sons of housekeeping. Sons of what's going on. We're bringing this to a close to bring it into Jordan and then bring it into AJ. Merch, 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 merch. Grayson just posted a picture of himself in the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful West Coast. Rocking our windbreaker, rocking our backpack. We got some really cool stuff up there. You guys wouldn't know what we had to go through with Lithuania to make sure that our brand looked the right way. Grayson was in like a 57 email chain, like no, Lithuania, don't change our logo. Throw that bad boy right on that windbreaker. And they did it, and it looks fantastic. So shout out to Sons of Emailing, Sons of Persistence, Great job, Grayson. What else do we have going on? Pat, right. talk to us about this Airbnb. <laughs> Sons of Airbnb, we got to give this a plug because if you are trying to go to Blacksburg this summer, if you want a little getaway like Bill and I did a couple weeks ago, you need to get on down to the Upton Family Airbnb. Uh, it's right behind downtown. It's incredible. It's got two full, two full bedrooms, pull-out couch, a little ping-pong table, half kitchen, a nice little fridge where you Put the, put the lunch meat and the PB and jelly. Big old backyard. Guys, That's if you want to know about this uh, Airbnb, definitely uh, hit us up. Uh, send an email to sonsofsaturdaypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you mention that the Sons of Saturday sent you, uh, there will be a discount on your stay. Uh, so do that. We'll post it on uh, on the Twitter sphere as well. Uh, just you can, you can take a look, see for yourself. But this place is a, a little slice of heaven. So you, shout you, out. Hold on, just to just to so everyone understands. Airbnb in Blacksburg, it's awesome. You tell them that the sun sent you, you get a discount. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to do that. If you're if you're listening right now, you got on the AirPods, you got in the old plugins, if you if you're a little bit behind on the times, give us an email, shoot us a tweet. 
We'll hook you up. Mr. Upton, thank you so much for the time in Blacksburg. It was unbelievable. Go ahead, Pat. I'm sorry for interrupting your chain of thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Next on the list, I uh, just wanted to continue the, uh, the chain here. If you are listening, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. And in your review, tell us about an underappreciated or underrated hokey victory. It could be basketball. It could be tennis. It could be football. We got one right here that we want to read from Robert Irby because this was extremely extensive and it deserves a read-off. So here we go. Underrated hokey win as requested by Robert Irby, the pride of Radford, Virginia. By far the most underrated win in VT football history is the 2009 win against Miami. We came into the game 2-1, and one, fresh off the legendary comeback against Nebraska the previous week, as well as the loss to Alabama and a win over Marshall. What people often forget about that Nebraska game is until the last heroic drive, or you know, really the last two plays, Tyrod was having one of his worst games as a Hokie, and our offense was nothing short of abysmal. Yes, we ended up pulling out the win, but there was a little confidence from fans in our offense's consistency. Cue the Brian Stein spring critics. Miami, on the other hand, was ranked number nine with a 2-0 record that included wins over two ranked teams, Florida State and Georgia Tech, to start the season. Miami quarterback Ja'Cory Harris, a.k.a. Ja'Cory Heisman. Remember that guy? He was an early Heisman frontrunner. The entire game day crew picked Miami to win. Herb Street, Corso, Desmond, Jacory, and Miami football team did not take into account two things. Torrential downpours, hey Carolina, and one of Bud Foster's best defenses. As the rain poured down harder and harder as the game progressed, that stout hooky defense in all maroon everything stomped the Miami offense into the mud led by Cam Chancellor, Cody Grimm, Jason Worlds, and a host of other Hokie legends. On the offensive end, Steinspring, despite of critics, called one of his best games, using his gritty offensive line and stable of backs to his advantage. Tyrod only threw nine passes this game, one of them which was a 48-yard touchdown to Jarrett Boykin. Instead of passing it around the field, the Hokies ran for 272 yards, including a combined 225 from Tyrod and Rue Williams, Ryan Williams. Williams ran for two scores, and the LPD stuffed every attempt Miami had at getting into the game. The Hokies won in pure dominant fashion by a score of 31-7. To put the icing on the cake, Beamer Ball was in full effect with a Jacob Sykes blocking a punt. And Matt Reedy picking it up in the end zone to take a 21-0 lead. With the buildup of this game, both with the hype for Miami and the negativity surrounding Virginia Tech, combined with the dominating performance and the pure grit playing in the heavy rain, this is hands hands down my favorite game as a Hokie fan. The Nebraska win lives on in immortality, and deservedly so, but far too many fans sleep on the emphatic performance by the Hokies just one week later. If you go back to one of our first episodes, Grayson actually has an incredible, uh, incredible message about that game if you really want to turn back the, uh, the memory book here. But that's awesome. So shout out to Robert. Incredible submission and keep them coming, guys. If you're listening, go ahead and write a little uh, submission in the Apple Podcast rating box. That was fantastic. Loved every second of that. Keep the submissions coming. A blast from the past, nonetheless, for sure. 
Guys, thank you for sticking with us. This was fun. Wheels fell off a little bit. Bundesliga always gets my blood boiling a little bit. So uh, that was a ton of fun. But happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody. A little bit different this year, obviously. Please continue to follow CDC protocols. We want to play football. Um, so please, please make sure that you're following protocol. Um, other than that, here's Jordan O'Donnell, followed by AJ Borshide. Stay tuned. we got some great stuff coming your way. Take care, everybody. Sons and daughters, thank you. We are back. Sons of Saturday podcast. Thank you for uh, tuning in, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening. We're happy you're spending some time with us. We, uh, we've been talking about getting new and different and interactive guests on the podcast uh, in this time with absence of sports. And you guys have been doing a great job of sending us some, some leads, I got to say. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll reach out to people and say, hey, would you like to come on the Sons of Saturday? Other times, we'll get the, uh, the warm intro. They'll download a white paper or uh, they'll sign up for a demonstration. And we say, hey, yeah, we, give, we, uh, we shoot them a text and say, we, we heard you were interested. Our guy, Austin Gable, who was one of the first guests we ever had on the Sons of Saturday, shot me a text a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, Pat, I have a really cool interview idea for you guys. My guy, Jordan O'Donnell, who I was teammates with at Virginia Tech on the wrestling team, he is publishing a book and it's going to be awesome. He's doing this really cool thing. You guys should definitely have him on so he can share his story. So we got him on, Jordan O'Donnell. He's a former wrestler at Virginia Tech from Richmond, Virginia, currently living in Richmond temporarily. We'll get to that later. But uh, also a former FBI employee, and uh, he's got a heck of a story. So, uh, Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm great, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're happy to have you on here on this Wednesday night. So uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty here and learn about this book, we, we got to hear about Virginia Tech because that's what we're here. We love, we love the Hokies, and we love Hokie athletics. Talk to us about your experience at Virginia Tech and uh, just the quick spiel on your, uh, your wrestling career and, uh, you know, what Virginia Tech means to you. Yeah, definitely, man. So I uh, finished high school in 2011 and gotten recruited to Virginia Tech uh, to wrestle there and um, was part of, I think we were the number seven recruiting class in the country. And I definitely wasn't at the top of the list. You know, I was probably, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. Uh, we had a great group of guys there and came into Virginia Tech and, um, yeah, just enjoyed every aspect of it. I uh, was living at Cochran Hall, loving loving uh, having the West End food right there, ready to eat whenever I wanted. And um, yeah, had a, had a short wrestling career. I only ended up wrestling for two years, so not the full five that most guys go for. Uh, but I really enjoyed those two and uh, loved being part of the team and being part of the athletic community up there. Absolutely. So when you were at Virginia Tech, what did you study? What's your degree in? Uh, so I was a history major, and then I ended up going to get my master's degree in education. So I stayed there for five years, and in my fifth year, finished up the, the master's. So tell me a little bit, ears, per- ears perked up a little bit when you said you were in the FBI. Uh, and this is, what year did you end up going into the FBI? So you studied at Tech, and did you go right into working with the government, or was there you know, some, a gap year? Tell me a little bit about that transition. Yeah, definitely. So I, I went straight in. Um, I, I literally actually 
I was in my commencement ceremony and I got a phone call, pick up the phone call. It's the FBI. <laughs> Sounds kind of <laughs> crazy, but it actually happened this way. And she's like, wow. Hey, you got pretty much 24 hours. I need to hear back on whether you want to accept this. So I accept it that night. Uh, I take a quick trip to Ireland and Spain because once you start your background investigation, you can't leave the country. So I go there for two weeks. I come back. My background investigation starts and then three and a half months, I'm up at Quantico going through some training and then to Winchester, Virginia, start working for the Bureau. And this is what? What's the timeline here? What year is this? This was 2016. Yeah. So 2016 to, and how long were you there for? Uh, two and a half years. So October, 2016 to April, 2019. So 2016, two and a half years with everything that's going on in the country. That's a quite an incredible time to be as close to everything going on as you were. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I got, I onboarded, I think three or four weeks before the 2016 presidential election. Um, so we had all of that. Clinton email was going on. We had all of that. Uh, we had the Trump Russia stuff. And then what I, I worked FOIA. And so FOIA is basically the people who draw all the lines through all the classified documents. So we're the ones who have to read through pretty much all the high profile investigations. We get a lot of boring stuff as well, but a lot of the high profile stuff and decide what gets released to the public. So yeah, definitely got to look at some, some pretty interesting stuff over those couple of years. So I've been complaining on the podcast recently about my onboarding for my technology company where I call people because I don't get to go into work every day. But you're onboarding in the middle of a Russia investigation amidst the presidential election, amidst everything going on. So I'm going to stop. This is I am formally putting an end to my complaining about my onboarding because <laughs> that's one hell of a time to start a new job. Right. Um, without going into anything you're not allowed to go into, what was your your day to day? So you were essentially would get um, emails or different documents from a multiple investigations related to that, not related to that. And your job is to essentially take out what normal folks like myself with my coffee can't be reading. <laughs> yeah, I will say it is, it's a very complicated process. It, it honestly is like learning Chinese or some other foreign language. It's, it's pretty complicated in FOIA law. I mean, people study it for years. Um, so it's, it's pretty difficult, but the, my basic my basic job was we would get requests. So re requests are the very, the very bottom level and the, anybody can request. You could, if your grandfather's dead and you think he might've been in the mafia, you could send in something and we, you know, we would do research on him, see if we have any investigations on your grandpa and then <laughs> uh, decide whether we can release that and what we can and can't release. So you get everything from that, you know, somebody's dead grandpa that might've been working, um, as in the Gambino crime family to something super high profile that's happening in the news right at that moment. Um, so it's kind of, kind of all over the spectrum. And my basic job was figure out what we have. And then eventually it was actually start redacting line by line what we have to take out. So Jordan, all of this, you know, high, high key, uh, intense research on these people's lives, um, you know, kind of like investigating, has it changed the way you think? Like, for example, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. Like, has it made your, the gears in your head turn like differently just because of what you know, uh, from, you know, doing all this research? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, 
I'm sure I wouldn't call myself a conspiracy theorist, but there's definitely things that are conspiracy theories that are 100% accurate, you know? And so there's definitely some truth realities in there and uh, you kind of got to figure them out. But uh, I mean, you know, I worked stuff like the JFK records act. Um, so I, I worked a little bit of that. We got called in on Saturday working some of that. And there's definitely a lot of talk about it. Um, I worked some of the Epstein stuff. There's, so there's talk about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, amongst everybody, we kind of chat about what, what might've happened, what might be going on. But if anything, I think it really shows you that a lot of the conspiracy, conspiracy theories are just not really true because the FBI is supposed to be this big bad guy that, you know, is doing everything behind the scenes. And then you start working there. And so, to be honest, sometimes you walk in and you're like, really, this is the FBI? Like, what the heck? You know, like, this just seems like some other random boring office. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a little bit. You, your interest gets sparked. But I think, if anything, you kind of walk out of there not believing too many conspiracy theories. So, literally every day, you are getting the tea, the, the, the highest quality tea that anyone can ever get. So I'm curious what led you to, you get into the FBI, unbelievable job. They call you on graduation and you do it for two and a half years. What led you to step away um, and pursue other, other options? Yeah, that's a really, really complicated question. Um, and really, I mean, something I was working through for a long time. Um, so I had, was obviously in the analyst role and then I had to wait essentially to actually be able to apply for agent because there's certain stipulations, age stipulations, things like that. So I applied agent. I got the offer, got DEA agent offer, secret service agent offer. And, um, I was, I was a couple weeks away from Quantico. Honestly. Um, I was, I was probably headed back to Quantico for training about five weeks later and number of things happened. And I, I would say it can be summarized with, I just got disillusioned with the FBI. Um, it's kind of, you know, the, how they always say, you know, don't meet your heroes because they'll, they'll kind of disappoint you. I, I think, and a lot of my family's worked for the FBI. My grandpa was an agent, my uncle works for them. Uh, and so I think I'd been kind of raised my whole life to really epitomize this as like the career, the greatest career. And you get in there and I don't know, man, they kind of specialize in mediocrity. It's not, it's not really all it's cracked up to be. Um, they claim to be completely integrity filled. And I think there are some incredible people in the organization that have integrity. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of things about it that'll, that'll make you a little, little disillusioned. So then you decide to step away and obviously there are things you can discuss and you can't discuss. Tell me a little bit about this book and what inspired you to write it. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I didn't mention that. That was a huge aspect of why, of why I stepped away. I wrote a, wrote a book. Uh, it's called Zoom Garden, and it's a political satire about modern-day America. And while I was working for the Bureau, you know, the Trump and the Russia stuff, Comey's emails, things like that, you, just, you see a lot of stuff that gives you, puts a bad taste in your mouth. And then also just looking at the news every day, how divided we are, how polarized everything. I wanted to write something that really kind of served as a warning of what this could lead to. You know, it could lead to absolutely nothing, but the history major in me sees some bad trends and that this could potentially lead to, to some catastrophes. Um, and so I, yeah, I wrote, wrote this political satire and the basic plot is there's a zookeeper that grants his animals freedom to rule the zoo however they want. And, uh, 
the wolves want it one way and the sheep want it another way and they slowly accidentally destroy the zoo. So it's, it's really similar to Animal Farm and the, the animals separate themselves into their individual habitats and the only way they communicate with each other is through pigeon up in the sky. So it's like Twitter and the internet. And uh, it's, it, it's, it'll definitely open your eyes to what's happening right now in the country for sure. So what's the name of the book? And then uh, I know it's coming out very soon. When, uh, when can people get their hands on it? Yeah, so it's called Zoom Garden. So Z-O-O-N Garden. Um, tried to make it kind of a unique name and stand out. And uh, it'll be out May 22nd on Amazon. So you can go on there, get a ebook copy, paperback, hardback, and uh, the audiobook will be coming out in a couple weeks. So there's a, uh, there's a very interesting way that you're looking to promote this, and we're pretty excited to hear you talk about it. Tell us a little bit about your plans in making this, uh, this publication well-known across the country. Yeah, so I, when, I, when I wrote it, I wanted to do it in a pretty atypical way. I think the book is, I mean, the book is for the American people. Honestly, it's, it's to open up eyes and kind of see what's going on. And so I wanted to make a re- take a really grassroots approach. So I bought a school bus, I bought two travel trailers, uh, converted all of them, and I hired 23 college interns. So this summer, as COVID clears up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to hit the road and take a 20-person American road trip all around the country promoting the book. Tell me a little bit. Sorry, go ahead, buddy. Do you guys have a name for the bus yet? Is is you know the Magic School Bus? Is it the Jordan Bus? Is it the Zoom Bus? You know what? (laughs) What's the? uh, Got to have some creativity there, right? For sure. Yeah, that's a good question. We uh, our creative director actually asked us all that the other day. He said, "Hey, start thinking of names." Um, We've got some. We've got some slogans like "Zooming Around America" and, and other things like that, but. Uh, the naming is still up in the air. So if anybody has suggestions, we're open. Tell me a little bit about the process of writing a book. I'm, I'm a huge Bill Simmons fan and he said it was the most, you know, exhausting thing he's ever done. What was your process to sit down, know what you wanted to say and then put it, put it to paper? Man. Yeah, I, I will agree with Bill Simmons. No doubt. I, I, there's a quote by Ernest Hemingway. I admire his writing quite a bit. And he said, there's nothing to writing. You just sit at a typewriter and bleed. And, you know, it's a really machismo saying, but it is so accurate. I mean, you, it, it re- I mean, there's a lot of joy in it. And then in the final product, but while you're writing, it is, it is a lot of suffering and you're, it's, I mean, it's hands down the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, you have an idea you try to put it on paper and then you recognize a month later that idea is not as good as you thought. You know, you write an entire book, you look at it a couple of weeks later when you wrote it, you thought it was fantastic and it's actually terrible now. So, I mean, yeah, for, for zoom garden, it's only an 150 page book and there was over a thousand drafts of it and hands down. It was How long were you writing it for? About two and a half years. So I started writing it when I was at the FBI in 2018. And then I was even making some minor edits, uh, even up to like a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, about two and a half years for a 150 page book. So is that like, and pardon me, cause I've, I've never read a book before, but, um, do you do it in Microsoft Word? Do you do it in Google Docs? Like where, <laughs> where, where does one write a book? Like how do you have enough storage? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Right. I think uh, the tactics vary. There's definitely some people who uh, they're going old school and they're literally using the, the typewriters. Uh, some people are writing it down with just a pen on paper. I, uh, I do Microsoft Word. I'm a little too scatterbrained to, uh, to trust myself with a typewriter. I, my writing looks a lot more like a random thought coming to my head and then just getting it on a paper as fast as possible before I get it. And then afterwards, I kind of go back and structure the ideas to make sense. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm more of a Microsoft Word guy, just word splatter. And then, uh, so you mentioned Hemingway is someone who you see as an inspiration, but you know, when you were writing this book, someone that you, uh, who, who are some people that you had immediate access to that you asked them for feedback or saw or looked to them as inspiration as you were getting your ideas down on paper? Yeah. I, um, another, another thing that Hemingway said, and I, I don't want to use too many quotes, but he talked about how when he was writing, he didn't read anybody that was still alive. And I found that to be pretty interesting. And, and the reason he said he didn't read anyone that was living was because if somebody was dead and they were still worth reading and meant that they had stood the test of time. And so I, I mostly only read people that are really old. So Fyodor Dostoevsky, Franz Kafka, Leo Tolstoy, George Orwell, obviously. Um, so I took a lot of inspiration from those guys. And, and truthfully, I didn't really talk to many, many people that are other writers um, kind of was just living off the souls of, of those, those dead writers. And is that the direction you want to take your career? So fired up about this book. Um, also it'll be on audiobook, which I'm extremely excited about. Uh, <laughs> so I'll be listening to it. Um, is, is this what you want to do? Is there a kind of, do you want to be an author? And if so, what is the, do you, are you going to niche, have a niche that you're going to write about or, or what are you passionate about writing about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something, you know, I'm still processing through. I, I definitely want to be a novelist. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I definitely have made that decision and want to pursue that, uh, with every, every ounce of my being. And I, I think one thing that we've kind of gotten away from as a society is, is back in the day when Dostoevsky or Tolstoy, when they were writing a novel, it was, to assess modern society. You know, it was essentially a critique of what was going on in the world. And that doesn't really happen much anymore. You know, most of the novels you see, they're either too poetical or they're just purely for entertainment. It's like, you know, Stephen King or something of that nature. And I'd really like to be a novelist that brings back the true novel. Somebody who writes about modern day events or maybe futuristic events but does it in a way where it's objective and it really, it, it can just analyze what's going on in society, which I think is what I did with Zoom Garden. You know, it's, I didn't argue for one political side or the other. I just kind of took a bird's eye view and just showed exactly what was happening in the country right now. Unbelievable. Yeah, this is, this is fascinating, Jordan. And, and hats off to you for, you know, a lot of people just kind of go through their life and, and have a job they don't love or do something because it pays the bills. But for you to identify something that obviously you're talented about talented at and passionate about is, um, is something a lot of people never are able to find. So hats off to you with that. I am curious though, um, to write a novel, Pat kind of hinted at it with, you know, doing it in Microsoft word, what else goes into writing the book? You get your thoughts down on paper, 
you know, how do you work with a publishing company? How do you get it to become available on Amazon? What is that process like? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's hard. <laughs> that's that's what it is. Honestly, it's uh, in a lot of ways, I think it, becoming a published author is almost more difficult than becoming an actor in Hollywood. I mean, there's a lot of loopholes to go through, a lot of hoops. Um, so ba basically, there's a couple different routes you can take. You can take the traditionally published route and try to get published by somebody in the the big five um, up in New York. And that's like Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, those type of type of organizations. And to do that, you have to go through a literary agent. So you have to not only convince the publisher to buy it, but before that, you have to convince an agent to actually want to read it. So it's a it's a long process. And the thing, a lot of people are moving away. A lot of reputable authors are moving away from the traditionally published route because you make 8% royalties, which is absolutely nothing. They get complete autonomy over your work. They get to decide the cover. They get to take out what they want to take. And so pretty early on, I decided I, I, I didn't really want to do that. Um, I thought the book was a little too controversial for, uh, for them to not maybe try to take certain things out of it or try to make it a little bit more politically correct. Um, and I also wanted it to be out before the 2020 election. I, I knew that this summer was vital to promote it. And so we created a company, we created a corporation, and we are publishing the book through that corporation. So we're kind of going an indie publishing route with it. And then we were talking about this a little bit uh, before we pressed record, but talk to us what it's like to uh, reach out to people about recording their own voices to uh, voice characters in the audiobook. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, a lot of people have been saying, hey, are you doing the audiobook yourself? And a lot of people have wanted me to. And I, um, one, I think my voice is a little too monotone. It's a little too chill. I might be putting some people to sleep. But also, you know, the characters are pretty diverse. I mean, there's a sheep, there's a sheep who is this really socialistic kind of kind of figure and then this very tyrannical wolf. And their voices could not be more juxtaposed. So I don't, I could never do it. Um, so I found a guy online, his name's Matthew Higdon. And uh, he's a pretty new voice actor, but guy is incredible. And he, he can just absolutely, na he nailed the voices. Um, yeah, so he, he did an incredible job on the audiobook, And I'm, I'm really excited to see the final product. So you mentioned earlier uh, about the interns, 23 interns on a school bus, the Zoom bus, whatever. Maybe we can have some, uh, some folks on Twitter recommend names for this bus. Uh, leave a five-star review and recommend a name for the bus. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> how, how do you get to be one of these 23 interns? How did that selection process look like? Was this, you know, any folks from Virginia Tech? Or was it folks who, um, you know, work around D.C.? What does that look like? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, so basically, I mean, we knew we had a pretty compelling product, the book, uh, the road trip, free road trip. Um, so we blasted everything online, used up all our free trials on ZipRecruiter, Indeed. And then also we obviously have our website. So we were getting a lot of applications through there. And uh, it honestly boggled my mind. We got almost 300 applicants. It was it was pretty great, pretty crazy. Um, and they're still rolling and I'm still getting applicants as of now. And, um, yeah, I was, I was really impressed with a handful of people of those 300. I probably interviewed about 70 of them and uh, I was able to narrow it down and select the 23. And, 
Uh, I mean, we have a team, man. It's it's awesome. We have a guy, our head of sales just graduated from Columbia with a 3.9. Uh, we got a guy who's got a master's degree in international studies and a minor in political science. We got a registered dietitian, a, a personal trainer, computer science, SEO type person. So kind of a kind of a super team. We've got at least one person who can practically do anything. That's pretty awesome. And uh, so you are touring around the country. Where are you starting? Like, what is the uh, the roadmap look like for you? Are you going east to west, west to east, uh, up, down, and around? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just in circles. Um, yeah, so we're we're starting on east, obviously in Richmond, and um, Charlotte's going to be our first stop. So head down that way, and then we'll start working our way west and. Um, obviously, you know, have to take things into account with COVID and things are starting to open up right now, but you know, we still have to be cautious and still be aware of what places are open and what places aren't. So, um, yeah, head Charlotte, Nashville, Little Rock down into Texas, and then we'll get into, uh, Arizona, California up the coast and then come back over the North. I'm fired. I'm fired up about this again. Can you just give us uh, tell the people where we can get it, when we can get it? Yeah, so it's Zoom Garden. So like Zoom, all you guys have been on Zoom. Uh, so Zoom Garden, and uh, you can get it on Audible or not Audible, Amazon, and then eventually you'll be able to get it on Audible with the audiobook in a couple of weeks. But ebook, paperback, hardback, and it'll be available Friday, May twenty second. So anytime after that, uh, you can go ahead and read it. And I think uh, even for people that aren't really interested in politics, if you're just a person who's interested in the state of America right now and kind of interested in what's happening, interested in our direction, maybe a little bit concerned as to where we're going, maybe feel like an overwhelming feeling that, you know, something good might not be on the horizon. Uh, It's definitely worth reading. I think you'll take a read of it and uh, really look in the mirror and think about, you know, your, your role in our political culture and maybe some other people's roles as well. That's fantastic, Jordan. Unbelievable. Uh, just to take us home here, we always give our guests the opportunity to conduct any shout outs. Do you have any shout outs, any, uh, special people you'd like to mention as, uh, as we sign off here? Um, man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, think my tour manager, Jake Harris, uh, just believing in, in this mission and, um, maybe a couple of those dead authors, Hemingway, Dostoevsky, a lot of motivation from those guys. So, um, yeah, happy that they lived good lives and, uh, hopefully I can kind of do a little bit of them myself sometime. Zoom garden. Definitely look forward to diving into it. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. Sons and daughters, daughters and sons, we have another awesome interview for you today. We have AJ Borshot on the podcast. And if you don't know AJ, AJ is a graduate of the class of 2018 from the Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, where he majored in both accounting and finance. As a lifelong enthusiast of movie making, AJ wrote and produced his own short films throughout his college experience. And as a member of the Delta Sigma Phi fraternity, AJ was actively involved in the creative processes to market the chapter to potential new members. After graduating in 2018, AJ, like myself, chose to go against the grain, moving to Los Angeles, California, to pursue his dream of becoming a feature film producer. 
Currently, AJ works as the assistant to the co-head of a motion picture group at CAA Creative Artists Agency. AJ Borshide, welcome to the podcast, brother. How you doing, man? Dude, I'm good, man. I appreciate that intro. It's, uh, I hope I can live up to it, but uh, we'll see what your uh, listeners think. I want to apologize first and foremost to your listeners and you guys too, because uh, when it comes to conversation, I tend to go off on a lot of tangents. So I want to apologize ahead of advance, but I can't wait to uh, get down to it. Absolutely, man. So we're just gonna we're gonna dive right into this. Let's do it. This is the this is the question that we always ask everybody that we interview on uh, here. Number one, who is AJ Borshad? Oh man, I got asked that in an interview uh, when I first moved out to LA. I'd be shown the door immediately. I don't know what I would say, um, but I guess what I can say is basically how I've been trying to live my life for the past couple of years is how I'm kind of trying to be who I am is uh, I feel like there's always, I just, I'm someone that always wants to learn. And I think I approach life that, you know, everyone has something to teach you. I think everyone goes through ex- like experiences that you, I'll never experience and they have learned something from that. So there's always something very valuable to learn from people and always just to keep an open mind and open heart when approaching every situation and trying stuff that is new. So that's kind of how I'm trying to live my life. And I think that's someone I want to be for the years to come. So, AJ, we were lucky to cross paths with you uh, in our time at Virginia Tech. As a film enthusiast, having this passion, you could have ended up at a lot of different schools. Mm. What made you choose Virginia Tech over, you know, some schools that might have more dedicated film programs? Oh, man, it was, I think it was like a majority of my family went to Virginia Tech. And I think I grew up just loving it, watching the games. Uh, I never visited as a kid, but, you know, I kind of always heard stories from my aunts and uncles and my mom and my dad and uh, my sister actually went there and Pat you were friends with my sister and I think uh, this is kind of a tribute to her uh, she always was someone that paved the way through my whole life whether it's like learning the ways of high school learning the ways of college and she kind of just I saw how much fun she was having and I was like all right Virginia Tech is a great place when I was looking at USC or like uh, film schools like USC NYU other small schools but are private institutions you know they're super super expensive I knew if I went to Virginia Tech, you know, I was very fortunate to have my parents pay for my college and I'd be able to graduate with no kind of financial burden that, you know, if I went to USC, I would have to take student loans and kind of be immediately in debt where I knew I could approach, I could uh, go after a career in the film industry, move out to LA potentially without any kind of financial burden. Uh, but also just like Virginia Tech, it's like, it's, uh, it's dude, being a Hokie would have been, is, was a dream. And it was kind of like a gold mine and it ended up happening. But I thought like, you know, most of it was like coming out without a financial burden and being able to attack the streaming one. Um, but also just like the fact that I think, you know, having a sister there a couple years older would already have a great introduction to, you know, the ways of how a Hokie uh, lives and how the lifestyle is. So it was always, uh, it, was, it was an easy decision. So after graduation, when did you, well, I guess it could have been before graduation, but when did you first realize that you wanted to move to Los Angeles? I mean, I always had this want and I guess this dream to like move out to LA. And, uh, you know, it was, as the years went on, I kind of like started like, I always, I, I would look at life as in the sense of like everything kind of is up until, you know, year after year when you're growing up, the next thing is already put in front of you. It's always that next grade. Um, you know, you're, you're living your life in the way of like the progression, the natural grade. And I think you go to college and after, you know, senior year, you kind of have this choice to do whatever the heck you want. And 
I always thought, okay, I'm going to move out to LA when I graduate and that's that. And I'm going to work, I'm going to hope to one day uh, work in this industry. Uh, and then, you know, as the years went on, I kind of found myself kind of like, all right, DC might be the move. I was kind of finding myself settle for, you know, live where all the rest of my friends live. And then I realized that, you know, I was walking home from Macoma's it's a very vivid memory and it's going to be sound really cliche, but I hope it doesn't come off as that. I was literally listening to a song by g Easy called Easy. And, and basically it was like, it's basically this song that kind of depicts how life isn't all that easy, hence the title. And, uh, and it's basically how, you know, anything worth having is worth fighting for and you have to fight for it to get it. And I immediately, you know, um, called my dad when I was like going up, getting back to my apartment. I basically told my dad, I was like, and he's like, what's up? Because it was like middle of the day. I usually call him like morning or night. So he's kind of like hoping nothing was wrong. And I was like, uh, I want to move out to LA. And he was, uh, I was like, I don't want to, I had a job with an accounting firm. And I, you know, and he was, and he, I thought he was going to be like, try to talk me out of it. Try to kind of steer me away from it or kind of like pick my mind more, like kind of question it. And, but it was the long silence. And he goes, uh, and he's, uh, <laughs> He's like, all right, how do we do it? How do we get it done? And it was at that moment, it kind of clicked. I felt like getting, saying it out loud was something that like was the first step. Uh, and then, you know, I, I started kind of like need to hold myself accountable. So I kind of started telling everyone, you know, senior year, everyone's kind of like, oh, what are you doing after school? What are, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's your job? And I kept telling people, like, I'm going to want to move out to LA. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to move out to LA. I want to move out, out to LA. I want to move out to LA because people started kind of like hearing that. And then it kind of started, I guess, not really spreading, but more people come up to me like, oh, I heard you moving out to LA. So it kind of held me accountable. So I'd kind of look like, not stupid, but I'd look bad if I went back on it, right? So I kind of like did that in a way to just make sure that I held myself true. You know, I went through it and it was the best decision ever, but it was the most stressful decision ever. So when you first arrived in LA, what was that experience like for you? Look back at it now. It was the most fun, uh, most fun I ever had. And I think it was the most exciting time of my life. And I think obviously life right now is still very exciting, but it's at that, at that moment, it was the most stressful thing in my life. And like, Grayson, you can attribute to it, man. It was, you know, those weeks leading up to it is the most stressful, most anxiety fueled experience that you can possibly think of. And it's just like, you know, I went there with no real connections, no job. And I kind of was like, kind of felt like I was hitting a reset button in a way. Cause no one really cares what school you went to when you move out there, what, what you're really, your background is once you're there, you're there. And that's when you start making that name for yourself. And went there with no job, I immediately started kind of like hustling and through uh, one family connection, I found a job, uh, a temporary job basically as a production assistant on press junkets, which basically for those who don't know, it's like, if you ever watch an interview where an actor, director, producer sits in a, sits in front of a backdrop of their movie, and they kind of just talk while the, the press one by one file in and pepper them with questions. So I got to work with, like, right off the bat, it was kind of crazy. I was in the same rooms with, like, Christian Bale, uh, Jack Black, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, I'm trying to think about uh, Nicole Kidman, Lucas Hedges, like, these insane people. And I was just, like, kind of like that aha, aha L.A. moment. And, um, you know, I was working that job. And I was also, I found a job as a DJ assistant by literally trolling Facebook. And I found a way to basically, I was this guy's assistant while he DJed weddings, while he DJed work events, 
And I was doing that on top of the junket. So I would like drive, I would drive from junket all day, then go get DJ assistant at a wedding at night or not a wedding. It was like a work club party. Then I'd be a DJ assistant again at a wedding on that Saturday. And it was, and it was just working these insane. And then on top of that, I was also, I found a job doing entertainmentcareers.com applying. And I found myself as a consultant slash assistant to a, uh, the radical studio CEO at Jesse Berger, who is a mentor of mine. Uh, he produced uh, Oblivion, the Hercules movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He has a movie coming out uh, on Netflix, actually, this uh, in June. You guys should also go watch it. It's Last Days of American Crime. Yeah, I mean, it was just like I was working three jobs. And then basically on top of that, I was, I was interviewing for uh, jobs in more area that I was looking for. And it was just insane, insane stress. But I look back at it and I feel like at that time, it gave me the opportunity to do anything. But I feel like in, in life, we have, a, we have a tendency to, you know, try to look like we're living the past, living the future. For that moment, I found myself, I was living the most in the present. So I think that was the most enjoyable part about it. And, you know, funny stories from my like DJ assistant, I was in this Beverly Hills home, three in the morning, in the backyard, cleaning up after a Halloween party. And I literally... My my boss DJ had like a had a headlamp, and he was cleaning up. And I didn't have a headlamp because I don't I wasn't that prepared. So I had to literally take my iPhone and wrap it around my forehead and duct tape it while, while the flashlight was going on. And so I had to clean up. And I, and there was it was just after a Halloween party, and it was just insane, insane stories that like you. I realized at that moment I was like I I could be back in DC, you know, working a normal job a job like and that's, as an accountant, but I found it that, like, this is just an insane, I'm doing this post-graduation at Virginia Tech. I don't know, it was just like this huge, huge thing for me. And it was like something that at the moment was super stressful, but now I look back on it, experiences that I'll, you know, cherish forever. So I got a two-part question for you. And first of all, that seems a lot cooler than a lot of things that I've done in my post-grad. <laughs> I've never, never been to a party in Beverly Hills, I will say that. Um, but one, how did your job at CAA come about? And two, what really is like a talent agency? Yeah, the, the, how the job at CAA came about was like super cool. You know, um, CAA is super, super hard to get a job at. You have to usually know uh, someone that at least put your push your resume through. So I had a friend of mine who introduced me to someone who's an assistant in the TV lit department, which is basically agents that, uh, that represent, you know, showrunners, producers, TV writers. TV directors. Um, and I had someone who's assistant who pushed my resume through to HR, but that kind of only got me to like the phone interviews. And, you know, those are pretty, um, you know, it's, you get the kind of basis questions and then, you know, you usually don't hear a callback unless someone else is pushing through on the other side. And sadly, nothing was really coming to that. And this all circles back to basically two weeks prior to moving out to LA. We were at my family's favorite, uh, Chinese restaurant in Lee, Chinese restaurant in Leesburg, Virginia. Jasmine's a uh, uh, great place. Uh, we have family friends who own it. And the owner, Mrs. Donovan, she was, uh, she's working the phone's front desk and I uh, hadn't seen her in a while. So, I, and I was, she was like kind of waved and she's like, uh, she, we hadn't talked for a while, like I said. And, she, and I was like, oh, I might as well like stay in something in, like in my, like in my head was like, just stop, stay, talk to her, see how she's doing, like catch up. So I waited there for like 10 minutes while she was taking orders because it was a Friday night and they were super, super, super busy. And afterwards, we got to like, like talk for a bit. And she's like, what are you doing after school? And I told her I'm moving out to LA. And she's like, oh, that's amazing. What are you doing? I was like, I'm more like the business side of the entertainment industry. 
And, and she's like, Oh my gosh, you should like, well, she doesn't, she used to be an actress, but you should meet my friend who's out there right now or who lives out there. And I was like, okay, great. Like please put me in connection. Anything helps. And, uh, I'm, after a while I was like interviewing, doing all these different jobs. Uh, I met with her friends and her, like I had got lunch with her friend that was out there somehow, I guess made a good impression on her. And she was like, all right, you should meet, uh, one of my friends. So I went and met with her friend and I was like another great meeting. Somehow again, I felt like she thought I impressed her. So she's like, let me pass my, your resume on to my friend who works at TAA, who's an exec there. And uh, I was like, please, that'd be amazing. I would really appreciate that. If I like the phone interviews, whatever, nothing's really come out of it. And immediately once that exec pushed my resume through it, I immediately got a call the next day and it was, um, you know, people was like, Hey, uh, we'd love for you to come in for an interview. So it was just kind of like, it was this, crazy thing that it was just this one person in my head someone's like hey you should you should stay and talk with him and I was like okay I did it and then that was like I met I talked with her she's like you should meet someone so I met with them he's like you should meet with that this person I met with them like all right I'll send I'll I'll send your resume through this person it was like this like chain effect was just this insane I never thought would happen and uh yeah I got the job and started in the mailroom and it was this crazy crazy experience uh what the talent agency is well, the funny way of how I described it is, um, well, first I always say is like, have you seen Entourage? And usually the answer is yes. And then I'm like, well, you know, Ari Gold, like that's kind of like the cliche of what a talent agency is. Um, but basically in a more holistic definition is more, a talent agency, we represent most talented individuals in the entertainment space, whether it's, you know, film, TV, uh, sports, digital, branding, um, we get to work with these very talented individuals where we were at representation. We have the fiduciary duty to make sure, you know, they're represented the best in their various facets of the industry. And I work uh, specifically in the motion picture department uh, and we represent uh, motion picture lit. So we represent, or my boss represents uh, producers, directors, and writers and, uh, and showrunners. And it's like, we get to basically, you know, help them, my boss and all the agents at CA help cultivate these careers. And it's just like this really awesome place to work because you kind of have your finger on the pulse of the whole industry. Uh, and it's a great place to learn. So you majored in both accounting and finance. How has your mm-hmm. degree from Virginia Tech helped you in your current position at CAA? Uh, I think it's time management, man. It was, it's uh, an accounting accounting degree I, I, in itself. You have to graduate 150 credits. And I did not take my AP classes anything serious in high school. So I did not come to Virginia Tech with basically any kind of college credits. I think I came with six. And when I would tell, talk to people that were in my program, they're like, oh, I came with like 21. And like, that's, that's that cheese. And so that means if you want to graduate 150, you basically have to take maybe 15, a couple semesters, but the rest of them you have to take at least, especially from my instance where I only came with six credits, I had to take like either 18 to 19 every semester. Uh, so I had to take summer classes sometimes just to be able to have the 150 credits because you, you have to have the 150 credits to be able to take the CPA. And in this instance, I was still kind of like, even though the dream of like wanting to move out to LA was there, I never knew if 100% was going to do it. So I still was like, I might as well still maybe be able to be, take the CPA. So I was still working towards that as well. So but then I, I tacked on a finance degree too because they kind of go hand in hand. Time management was insane because I just had to balance all those credits and balance those two majors. And, uh, yeah, it ended up uh, the time management I learned from those two degrees helped me, you know, like 
the job now is like you have to do a million things at once. So I think the time management aspect is the biggest. So AJ, I want to ask you, what is your favorite part about your job right now? Uh, I think just go back to like being able to work with the most talented individuals in the entertainment industry, you know, across all facets, the film, TV, um, sports, branding. Uh, you know, I can see the, big, the, the beginning phases of the next big studio movies and years in advance, you know, whether it's from all the way starting from a short story or simply an idea spoken out loud. I kind of get to see the full fruition in all the phases from, you know, the beginning of a project all the way to the final product when it hits the theaters or the streamers or, you know, or it's like video on demand. It gets, I think it's just cool to be able to dissect all the movements and see, you know, how everything starts from a starting phase and just like the ability to learn. I think, you know, all the people who work at CAA, the agents, executives, and also the other assistants and down to the mailroom, I think everyone's there is so insanely smart and way smarter than I am. Uh, so it is literally the best place to learn about this industry. You know, I want to make my, you know, have my career in. So I think it's like, there's no other better place to learn. So. So AJ, in your opinion, and I'm really curious about this, what are the most challenging aspects personally for you about living in Los Angeles? Uh, I mean, start off, it's, it's the financially, it's, it's sometimes almost impossible to feel like you can live here. Um, but I think it's at our time of our lives that we're young 20 year olds that we can, you know, we have really no baggage in the sense of, um, if, like kids or anything, obviously. So it's, it's, we have the chance to live very, very, uh, with a small budget. Uh, but in a sense, I think it's the, the biggest thing for me is the constant hustle. I think it's, uh, and it's, it's as much as that's the worst part of LA, I think that's the best part of it too. Um, it's the feeling that you can never really truly relax. If you have some free time, you feel like you always need to be doing something to better yourself, whether it's, you know, reading, uh, a book that about the industry, reading a book just about, uh, someone who's like Bob Iger's book, for instance, or, or reading an extra script that you can kind of help flag for an agent or from your boss, or, you know, it just feels like you always have to be hustling too. And, and it's just, I think it's that like trying to the underlying anxiety that never gives you the, the opportunity to kind of just kick up your feet and relax. Like you can like really, but it's a, it's a blessing that I can tell this a part of my, or I can call this a part of my job is I feel like I need to, if I'm not doing anything, I can't just be sitting on my phone because I feel like I could be watching a movie and educating myself about a director or a new piece of, or a new writer. And as much as that sounds like, woe is me, I think it's like, I'm blessed to be able to call that part of my job is like watching a movie that I haven't, that I wouldn't ever think of watching before, uh, just to educate myself. But, uh, but the answer is like, it's a constant hustle, never really truly feeling like you can just take a nap, <laughs> I guess. I'm just, I'm just always tired, so. <laughs> oh, I feel that. I completely, yeah. completely understand. Yeah. So speaking of the, uh, the LA lifestyle here, we spend a lot of time with our buddy Grayson, even if it's virtually at this point. And uh, you know, the lingo, the lingo, the LA lingo, or sometimes oh, it's just the, uh, the innate Grayson Wimbish lingo that you know, makes him stand out from other people <laughs> in this oh, world. Yeah. Last week on the episode, he was describing wakeboarding and said, hey man, let's go get up on the lake and we can sh- spread that gnar butter on the shred bread. My, my question, my question to you is, um, do all of the homies of LA talk like this? Are there some, you know, new lingo things that you've picked up along the way that you've, you know, brought back, um, to the East coast? I think, I mean, 
honestly, I think Grayson kind of talked like that before he moved out to LA in a sense, <laughs> in a way. He was kind of talking about like that. <laughs> Normally, Grayson has a very colorful vocabulary that like not in the sense of he's cursing all the time, but he's this, these words they never you never thought existed and then Grayson uses them and I'm like, you're right, okay, that's that's interesting how you use that. Um, <laughs> and I feel like he fits perfectly here. Uh, but for me, I think it was the, I think it's the the neighborhood. When I came to LA, I thought of LA kind of and a whole city where, I mean, it is, but technically it's like an LA, it's a county. So there's like these different pockets and these different neighborhoods. So when I got, when I moved here, people were like, oh, we're going out tonight. We're going on the West side. I'm like, West side, like, obviously that means west but like what technically is that like what what geographical location is that and it's like that's like santa monica venice i guess culver city kind of can be considered that uh marina del rey uh and it's like I, but what's west side and then they're like oh we're going to the valley obviously i knew what the valley was but i know the pockets and it was studio city north hollywood um central la uh it was like noho which is north hollywood it's like the weho west hollywood i didn't know there was three different hollywoods uh, I guess there's four because it's e- e- Eho is, e- is even a thing. East Hollywood. So it was just, I just didn't know like there's like all these different like pockets. And then I guess also too, it's funny. Like I'll be driving with my friends who are native uh, uh, Angelicans or Angelinos. Uh, and they probably hate me for that. I just call them Angelicans. Angelinos. Uh, and um, I'd be like, oh, let's take exit, you know, exit 11A. And they're like, wait, you mean La Cienega? And I'm like, oh, so yeah, they don't call exit number. They don't call exits by their numbers. Like, I guess us, DC, it might have just been me, but I, from what, how I learned, when learned to drive, if you're driving the toll road, we're like, oh, we're taking exit 18B to blah, 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 blah. Well, they're like, oh, let's take the exit to La Cienega. Let's take the exit to Sunset. Let's take the, uh, the exit to Melrose, where you kind of got to learn how they kind of consider their geographical location completely different. And that's kind of like the lingo I had to learn. It's uh, I think it's like I didn't know there was four different West or four four different Hollywoods when I thought I was living in Hollywood when I first moved there, but they're like no, there's West Hollywood, East Hollywood, North Hollywood. There's all this crazy thing. And follow up question to that: You mentioned Culver City. Have you mm-hmm. been to Joxer Dailies, and does it live up to the hype? I haven't. Wait, what? Is Grayson's smiling. What's Grayson smiling about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, Joxer Dailies is where the Los Angeles Virginia Tech Alumni Association, at least this past season, watched all the Virginia Tech football games. Oh, I never had a chance um, to make it because I was usually working. Yeah. So, is it is it wild? Is it is it fun? It's a lot of fun, man. Like yeah. it was it was crazy. It started out really small. Uh, shout out to Eric Avazar for putting all that together. But um, like for the Notre Dame game, man, there was probably forty to fifty people there like all Hokies from LA. And that was just the wildest thing to me. But every Saturday, man, that's, that's where I was. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool place, man. Next, next fall, assuming, and right now it's looking like it college football happens. We'll have to get you out there. I'm praying that it happens, especially, you know, I know you guys got big plans uh, for the season. So I hope that it, you know, for you guys also just for as a college football fan, I hope it happens. So the last question before we before we move into the lightning round that I'll ask you, AJ, is what is your overall goal in the entertainment industry? So like what like what do you hope to accomplish down the line here in Los mm-hmm. Angeles? I think it's just so cool that in the entertainment industry you can touch projects, you can work on projects, you can be a part of projects that are seen around the world. You know, I I just think there it's something tangible and 
my goal and what I want to accomplish to work on meaningful projects, whether it's emotionally, personally, culturally, projects that, you know, can be seen around the world and can make someone feel something. Because uh, I think those are the best kind of movies, whether it's just the, escape, the escapism of it, the the chance of like the two hours to take yourself out of any kind of problems you may be facing, you know, um, it just gives you that chance to escape. And I feel like just being able to give that to people, you know, is a gift in itself. So that's kind of the goal of mine is to be able to, you know, uh, be able to hopefully have as many people, you know, with the projects I'm able to, to be blessed to work on, be able to, you know, use them as an escape uh, from, you know, from whatever they may be facing those days. I think that's awesome, man. I, re- I really, really do. I know you're going to go so far in this industry and, and I, appreciate I can't, it, man. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you do. And I think it's really cool how you and I went from being, the same fraternity at Virginia Tech to moving out to LA and now we're here and we're both pretty kicking wild, ass. man. It's, it's pretty wild. wild. I mean, look, look at you guys, man. It's, 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 it's awesome to see, like, it's being a fan. It's like seeing it first, like, you know, seeing you guys, you know, grow uh, on, on social media and just like taking part and listening in. It's just been awesome to see you guys grow as, you know, as a brand, as a podcast. Thanks, man. We really, really appreciate that. So now, we're going to move into the last part. It's the lightning right, round. Presented. Go ahead, okay. Pat. Do your thing, man. Presented by, let's go. Presented. Pat, you run it, man. You oh, it. man. Presented by Sharky's Blacksburg, yeah. where good friends go. Shout out yeah. to Kyle. You got BOGO Monday. Monday's coming up. BOGO Burger Monday. They open the back patio. Call in for a little reservation. They'll get you going. Going for a Long Island iced tea, California burger, California chicken sandwich, all these Californiaites on the call. I feel outnumbered here. Stop in, saw Ian Grubb. <laughs> saw Ian Grubb was at Sharky's this past uh, this past weekend. He tagged us on Twitter and uh, love seeing that. So thank you, Sharky's. We got two pound two part lightning round here. Lightning round Blacksburg, lightning round LA. I'll kick it off with Blacksburg, and then Grayson will do LA. So AJ. Favorite hokey dining hall? First and foremost, I miss you, Kyle. I uh, hope all is well at Sharky's. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> favorite Virginia Tech dining hall, dude. It has to be um, Hokey Girl. I literally lived off, I think, Chick fil A. Uh, and, you know, with dining hall money, sometimes it felt like fake money. So I used to literally buy chicken sandwiches upon chicken sandwiches. And it's so different now, obviously, post graduation that I have to, like, I actually have to physically give my debit or credit card to pay for Chick-fil-A, so I can't nearly splurge on, you know, <laughs> four chicken sandwiches. Uh, so Hokey Grill has to be it, because you can also, you know, hit the, I'm in the, my memory is escaping, or you can get the Pizza Hut subs, which were a hidden gem of the Hokey Grill. Uh, but yeah, they should, yes. Chick-fil-A was always there. The Dunkin', the Dunkin' uh, was always amazing. The, the coffee that was loaded up with sugar, but, you know, got you through those late study nights was always the best. <laughs> Favorite restaurant in Blacksburg? I mean, you said it before I even asked you, Sharky's. So, I mean, it's literally, you know, the best place on earth. It's, uh, Let's go. Let's go. The endorphins, when you walk into those, through those uh, two doors, you say hi to uh, whoever's bouncing that day. It's just, you know, it's literally the best place on earth. I can't, I can't even start to explain the smells, the views, the, the, the millions of TVs on the wall. It's just, it's just the perfect place on earth. And that uh, that checks the box for our next question. Favorite yeah, watering easily. hole? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a two-hander in one, man. It's 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 sharky, sharky, sharkies, and then you know, uh, big Alice too, and uh, you know, one of the thriving days. R.I.P. But 
Sharkies is just, you can't beat it, man. You can't beat it. <laughs> Favorite memory from your time in Blacksburg? Dude, have to be, and, you know, Pat, it was cool because you have to share this. Uh, we were on the same bus riding down there was the Battle of Bristol. Um, I think it was the coolest, most insane and electric time at Virginia Tech. You know, obviously there's a bunch of, like, memories at Virginia Tech on, on various parties, bars, whatever. Uh, but that just like when it was, uh, when we were standing, I forget, we were in the end zone that was kind of very far from the field side. Because I think it was a lot of where the uh, race traffic houses or houses where the, the stuff is on the track that kind of took away from being immediately on the field or near the field. But it was like when they did uh, Proud to be an American and uh, that song and like the fireworks and Oh my goodness, man. It was like the chills and the literally I just couldn't I was speechless for a solid ten minutes and people were touching they're like tapping on the shore, like, Are you good, man? I was like I just was completely just sensory overload of everything that happened. And that's just one of those memories that you'll you'll dream about. And it was kinda of like when you're dozing off or kind of just like looking out into like open space, you'll just start imagining that and you just can't beat it, man. I often forget that we lost that game because of how yeah. insane that weekend was. Just I so... only like really remember the first the first quarter when it was you know it was still still like a really good game. But I mean, so it was just an insane experience altogether. So true. All right, now we're gonna move into lightning round, LA edition. AJ, what's your favorite? What is your favorite film? It's such a hard question because I think it's like whatever you know I'm into. I think the one that no matter if it's on, you know, FX, uh, PBS, if I just come across it on Netflix, if I don't know, really know what to watch or I don't, anything, nothing's teed up. Uh, I'll always watch the dark Knight. I think it's literally like Christopher Nolan is the director of all directors. And it was just, I think the way he made if like, you know, if you had a billion dollars, he felt like you could be Batman too. Uh, the way he integrated the fact that, you know, Batman is basically using, uh, army technology to basically become batman which is like this insane concept and and literally made me feel like i could be batman so uh you know like the best movie ever stamp that 100 percent. heath ledger's performance as the joker is one of the best i've insane. ever seen in my life ridiculous second question of the lightning round we just added this one actually have you met anyone super cool in la anyone interesting are you allowed to talk about the people that you've met uh, I mean, not all of them, but like, I, I, the one that I thought was like the, the craziest to me, I guess I can tell you two, two, and two of them. It's one was like, obviously when I was working the press junket, there was, uh, the one that was kind of like the aha LA moment where I think everyone who moves there has it at some point. Uh, I was working in the, you know, the press junket and, um, <laughs> we were, it was for Jack Black's movie, like the house, the clock on its walls, I think it was. And uh you know he he we was using between takes and in between interviews and he goes like i need to take a break real quick and he was went to like the, the side buffet section or whatever and he was just like picking off whatever was on the was on the buffet kind of just like getting a snack and while he was doing it he was just belting out sweet child of mine um it was just like this insane like he was just riffing like top of his lungs there was at least like 50 people in the room we were all, I, like, I was kind of like one of my first jobs on the, at that press junket. And I looked to the camera guy and the camera guy looks at me, rolls his eyes. He goes, he always, he always does this. And it was just like this. I was like, wow, this is like literally like a guy like School of Rock is one of the most all-time <laughs> movies. 
yes. moment. Like this, like like this is one of those movies that like stick out in my like in my memory like fluidly. So I think it was just like him belting Sweet Child of Mine was just an insane moment. And then yeah, it was like that was just one of the most crazy times. Like the coolest people I got to meet and kind of have a cool conversation down to earth. I guess also another one was cool was like Will Ferrell. I was kind of just like on my phone in between um, jobs. I was on that day. I was supposed to go clean up the set, strike it down. And I was just leaning up against the wall. And I guess Will Ferrell's interviews were going long. So we were waiting for him to finish up. And I was just leaning against the wall on my phone. And then uh, someone told me like, all right, man, we're up. And I thought they exited out a different door because I was told they were going to. So I start looking up. And I immediately, like two feet away, I'm staring at this man's sternum, and I'm, and he's wearing this like, and I saw in my brain, it's like one of those soft, it looked like one of the softest sweaters I've ever seen, and I like, I'm like, oh, this man. In my head, I go, wow, this man is super, super tall, and so I keep looking up, and it's just Will Ferrell staring back at me, and he goes, hey man, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> and so I was like, I was kind of like just caught myself, and it was like one of those moments, like those like. Like, I was like, uh, uh, hey, 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 uh, how's it going? He's like, hey, man, what's going on? You having a great day? I'm like, great, great day, great day. And he goes, okay. And he's kind of, I definitely weirded him out a little bit. So I was just caught off guard. And I was like, this is something you kind of always have to be ready for, I guess. But it was just like one of those really cool moments. That's awesome, man. You had never told me that story. <laughs> That's yeah, so it was, funny. It was, just, it was such a weird, it was, I mean, he was just smiling. <laughs> it was like the, the smile he does in Elf, where it's just full, full-fledged, like, just, ear to ear you know such a big smile and i just like do it like I, my eyes he saw like my reaction because i kind of flinched because i was kind of like yeah. oh, hey and he's and he's hey man what's going on like super down to earth i was like wow i just i never thought in my life you know i'd be two feet away from old feral and talking to him it was just crazy that's that is incredible and and the jack black one as well i i I immediately as soon as i heard sweet child of mine all like i can picture him doing that in my head thinking like school of rock dewey finn mr s rock school of rock is an all-time classic and he just started riffing like like falsetto literally everything he was such a good singer too like i i knew that but i just was in the flesh and it was just funny because i looked like i said i looked at the camera guy and the camera guy's like oh he always does this like this is a normal thing i'm like okay (laughs) you know mr jack black you know yeah it's just this crazy thing favorite restaurant in la oh man if i want to be bougie i'll say nobu malibu nobu malibu is the best sushi in the world but you'll you'll leave you'll leave um you know poor essentially way more poor than i already am um uh but the best in the most low-key spot and i love going to is sushi stop it's some people equate it to like fast food sushi which is kind of nasty but it's not it's super cheap like you can walk out of there spending 50 dollars, and you felt like you you bought the whole restaurant um that's always a go-to and i i always go like there's a chick-fil-a right by my spot because i know it's obviously not an la restaurant but i just still never stop eating chick-fil-a so there it is Eat Chick-fil-A at Hokie Grill, eats Chick-fil-A in LA. Exactly. Favorite, favorite watering hole in LA, like your favorite bar? Um, favorite dude, I, I go to, um, pre-COVID-19, I would always go to Waterfront, which is in Venice, about a half mile from my spot, um, on the beach. Literally, like, you could, a stone throw, like, you wound up and you threw it, literally, you'd land in the ocean. Um it was the best place ever, such good vibes and everywhere I always used to go. And there's always be a line out the door around the corner, all the way up the street. Uh, sadly, that probably won't ever be like that again, post COVID with all this 
you know, obviously the amount of people, the amount of heads are allowed to be in the bar, but best place ever. Best place on earth when it comes to LA. Fun fact, man, I've never been there, but I've heard oh, great things. When it opens back up, it's literally the best place in the world. It's, I just, it's, it's the same kind of vibes. Like those like the endorphins type that I equate it to Sharkies. It's just insane. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to Good check time. that out, man. Favorite hiking trail in Los Angeles? The Runyon is the classic. You can see all of LA. It's, it's a, you, whether you want to, you know, you can run it. You can, the people always have their dogs. The dogs are always running around, you know, growing up with dogs. It's always nice getting a little, uh, seeing, get to see dogs and dogs off leash. And they're all very friendly. So I think Runyon's like my favorite one. All right. And final question of the lightning round, least favorite element about LA that is not the traffic. I think it's, you can't, <laughs> if you decide to go out one night, whether it's Friday, Saturday, or whatever day of the week you go out, you can't really escape going out without spending at least $50. And I think $50 is on the cheaper end. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you escape a weekend spending sub 100, it's someone you, you either didn't go out or you somehow got all your drinks paid for or something. Uh, so I think this is like the, the sheer, I think that's kind of everywhere, honestly. Um, I mean, uh, in the same realm of price prices, I think gas, the gas prices are just obviously way, way too crazy. Thankfully I have a hybrid car. So I literally embraced LA to the full max and I got like a half electric car. Uh, it's a blessing, but you know, it's, it's just, everything's so expensive. You, if you feel like you walk out your door, you're going to spend $20 every time. You could like take a breath of fresh air, and then someone Venmoing requesting. You. <laughs> <laughs> and, and anytime you breathe non-polluted yeah. air, it's a Venmo request. You got That's... yeah, you got cover. You got Governor Newsom going <laughs> <Venmo laughs> requesting you twenty exactly. Yeah. No, I I I think I agree with that, man. Like this COVID, as crazy as it sounds, it's kind of been a blessing in terms of saving money. But I find myself now the money that I'm not spending at the bars. I'm spending like postmating food, which is Dude, yeah, not as good. That's 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 not. I don't know. Dude, or like uh, I'm buying, I'm buying like myself a shirt for like the first time in three years. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not spending money on like food or you know drinks. I'm home right now, so I'm spending like I'm I'm saving a couple hundred dollars on groceries every month. So I'm like, oh, I can buy myself a, a new shirt instead of wearing the same shirt I wear literally every day on the weekend. Uh, the same black shirt, uh, (laughs) like something, get a little bit more color in my life and kind of treat myself. But, uh, yeah, man, everything good with you. How's everything? Things are well, man. I'm, I'm, I'm holding it down out here trying to, trying to stay positive. It's weird. It's definitely weird just with everybody going home, like your home and a bunch of my other friends out here in LA went home. So it was, it was a little depressing for a while. Um, but Mm. hopefully my plan is, uh, the first week or so in July to ideally I'd like to, to come home and see my family. I think, do that job, be, you think your job will let you do that. We'll see. Yeah. Remains to be, it remains to be seen, especially with the new office. And if our, a couple of our production assistants aren't back by then, who knows? So we'll see. But uh, AJ, constant hustle. yeah, dude, you know, you know it just as well as I do. It's, it's the hustle, but yeah, thank man. you so much for dude, coming thank on. You guys. I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's, it's, this, this, is, uh, this is a dream in itself, so I appreciate you guys. You guys are doing great work, and it's awesome to be part of it. Thank you, man. We, re- we really appreciate you and look, look forward to uh, working with you down the line. We, yes, we've sir. talked to AJ about helping us uh, 
produced some content, helping us produce the Live at the Lyric show. If that were to happen, we're really oh, fingers crossed so, on that. So I didn't want to touch it because I didn't know if that was like public info, but that's that's everyone knows. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, no that's 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 out there, man. That's out in the ether. So uh, people know it. about that. And yeah, we're we're really, really fired up about that. But guys, be safe, stay inside. Well, at least on the East Coast, I know things are kind of starting to open up. Not so much here. Wear your mask. Call a loved one. Tell them that you love them. Be good. We'll see you in the next episode.